It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm intrigued by stories or movies where you have people who are in you know, just situations where it's quite extreme and they've come to that point where uh, they've lost all hope and they've uh, just given up and, and maybe it's a, a shipwreck and they're out in the middle of the ocean and they're just holding on to a piece of that broken ship and you know days or maybe weeks have gone by and they think you know all hope's lost you know they're going to drown and die and in that moment where all hope's lost they see a ship that sees them and they're rescued and they go from that place of hopelessness to joyfulness and you see that amazing change Uh, and those are just wonderful stories that you know you can watch on film or read in books but you know we have one of those stories here in the Bible where you have the disciples and followers of Jesus they go from a place of pretty much the worst you know, time of their life when, you know, Jesus died and the three days following that to the greatest time of their life, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They go to this place where they have no hope to a place where they have complete joy. Uh, And it's amazing what became, what was one of the, the worst times of their life became one of the greatest times in their life. You know, but one of the things that John does as he Uh, reveals these things here in chapter 20, is he focuses on how the disciples respond when they're still in that kind of worst time of their life situation. You know, between Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, there are three days, and he's going to reveal to us some of the ways in which these disciples and followers of Jesus respond before the glorious conclusion, before they know that Jesus is risen, before, you know, they go from that place of hope to joyfulness, he wants us to see how do they respond when they're hopeless? How do they respond when they're full of despair? How do they respond when they're facing that circumstance that just seems so horrible? And, you know, there's a lot that we can learn from the responses that we see from the followers of Jesus to the difficult circumstance and situation that they face. And as we look at these responses, well, we're going to learn how we should and also how we should not respond when we face difficult situations in our own lives. And I think it's going to be a very relevant challenge for us because of you know, all that we've been facing so far here in 2020. Now before we jump into John 20, let's try and picture what it would have been like for the disciples of Jesus up to this point in time in their lives. For the first or the past three years, they've been consumed in Jesus. They've left everything to follow Jesus. They've had all sorts of wonderful ideas of Jesus becoming king. And even maybe in their minds, even more important, them ruling and reigning with him in his kingdom. They've seen him do miracle after miracle. And they've even been involved in doing some of those things themselves. 
But they also know that Jesus has some powerful enemies, and those enemies are seeking to destroy him. You have one last meal with him, and he shares some things that you don't want to hear. One of you is going to betray me. I'm going to be killed by the religious leaders. All of you are going to abandon me, and Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then you watch as Jesus is arrested and and fear consumes you and you run and hide. For those of you brave enough to follow him, one denies him and the other has to stand and watch as Jesus is tortured and crucified on the cross. And when Jesus is finally dead, everything you believed dies with him. And you lock yourself in a room for fear that you are next. A day in which you should have been expecting the resurrection is a day in which you give up all hope. Jesus is dead and gone and you feel there is nothing he can do for you anymore. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever been in a situation where everything around you is going wrong and you just think that, you know, you just give up? Nothing can get me through this. Nothing can get me through this relational conflict, through this addiction, through this financial crisis, through my loved one passing away, through the devastating uh, medical diagnosis that I was just giving, through this horrible depression and anxiety. I'm sure that most of us have had these types of feelings during this year, where it seems to be a year that so many things have gone wrong, so many difficulties have faced us. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, nothing nothing can get me through 2020. Nothing can get me through this virus. Nothing can get me through this lockdown. Nothing can get me through the fact that I've lost my job, or I've lost a loved one, or the, the political fighting and the division in our country, or hurricanes and natural disasters, or, or whatever it may be. I know there have been times in my life where I was in difficult situations and, and came to the conclusion, you know, nothing can get me through this. But you know what we fall into when we come to that conclusion? We fall into the same things that Jesus' disciples fell into. Jesus is now powerless to help us. You see, that's what we're ultimately saying if we claim, you know, nothing can get me through what I'm going through because the nothing includes Jesus. So if I claim nothing can get me through this, then what I'm ultimately saying is I don't believe that Jesus can help. I don't believe that Jesus can get me through whatever I'm facing right now. But how far that is from the truth. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Something we need to remember as we're facing difficult situations is you might be powerless, but Jesus is all-powerful. You might be weak, but Jesus is strong. You might be confused, but Jesus knows everything. You might be ready to give up, but Jesus comes and, and picks you up and carries you. You might think, you know, I'm useless and, and I'm nothing special. But with Jesus, you can do anything, and to him, you're the most special thing in the world. So here in John 20, the disciples and Jesus' other followers are faced with these horrible situations, all that are centered around the death of Jesus. And we're going to see that different people respond to this situation in different ways, and there's a lot that you and I can learn from these responses. We're going to learn how we should, and also how we should not, 
respond when we're faced with difficult situations. And since all of us are dealing with the many difficult situations of 2020, I just want you to take a moment as we look at these situations and the people that are going through them and how they respond, and I want you to look at your own life, especially this year, and think to yourself, you know, how have I responded to the virus, to all these other things that have come my way this year? And then I want you just to take a moment as you're listening to me share and just compare. Compare your response to the responses that we're going to be looking at this morning. And I want you to see, you know, is what I've been doing, the way that I've been responding, the right way or the wrong way? Am I like the people here who are bad examples of what to do? Or am I like the people here who are good examples of what to do? And if you find yourself saying, you know what, hey, I've been responding the way I should. Well, let me encourage you to continue Because I can guarantee you, 2020 is not done yet. There's more coming our way. And so continue to respond to these difficult situations in the right way. But if you say, you know what, I've been responding in the way that I shouldn't, then let me challenge you to ask the Lord to help you to change. To not continue to respond in a way that he wouldn't want you to respond to the difficulties that you're facing. Now, in this chapter, there are five main responses that Jesus' followers have to the difficult situations that they're in. And in order to do all these responses justice, and also to kind of look at the resurrection within these responses, you know, to do them all in one Sunday would really be too much. So this morning, we're going to look at the first two responses, uh, and we're going to see what we can learn from them. And then next week, we'll look at the other three responses. So when you're faced with a difficult situation, the question we need to ask is how should we and how shouldn't we respond to those difficult situations? And this morning we'll look at two ways that we see here from the followers of Jesus. We'll see some good and some bad examples. And we're going to start by looking at the response we see from Mary Magdalene and what we can learn from her. John chapter 20, starting in verses 1 and 2, it says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, as we looked at last week, after Jesus died, two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they take Jesus, they get permission from Pilate, take Jesus from the cross, and they put Jesus in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And in that process, they wrap Jesus with linen and spices, and they prepare him for that proper burial. Well, now it's the first day of the week, which is three days after Jesus died. And Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, and as she comes to the tomb, she sees something that she was not expecting, something that she did not want to see. The the large stone covering the entrance of the tomb had been moved, and so now the tomb is open. And after she saw this stone, notice what she does. She ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now Luke's gospel shares some more details about what happens here that's important for us to understand so that we can better grasp the response of Mary Magdalene. So let's see what Luke reveals to us about this same event in Luke 24, 1 through 8. It says this, 
Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Now with Luke's accounts and John's accounts, we see that Mary did not go to this tomb alone. She has several other women who are with her, and they're going to the tomb, and they bring these spices that they're hoping to be able to put on the body of Jesus. And as they come to the tomb, they see that the stone has been rolled away. And John tells us right when Mary sees this, so she doesn't go all the way to the tomb, she just is heading towards the tomb. She sees that the stone is rolled away, and her response is to run from there to where Peter and John are, and then she shares some news with Peter and John. But Luke tells us the other women, they don't run away, they enter the tomb. And as they enter the tomb, there are two angels in the tomb who give them some wonderful news. Jesus is risen from the dead. Remember he told you he'd be crucified and three days later he would rise and they remember the words of Jesus and they recognize Jesus is risen. But understand, Mary didn't see those angels. She didn't hear that wonderful news because she didn't go into the tomb. Instead, she ran to Peter and John And she told them something that wasn't true. Someone has taken away the Lord out of the tomb. So here's the first response I want us to learn from. Mary encounters what she believes is a horrible situation. The stone covering the tomb has been rolled away, and she concludes Jesus' body must have been stolen by someone. But there are two problems with Mary's response. The first problem is she jumped to the wrong conclusion. And second, she didn't stick around and investigate. You see, if Mary would have stayed, if she would have investigated, if she would have gone into the tomb with the other women, she would have discovered from the angels that Jesus' body wasn't stolen. Instead, he rose from the dead. But instead of investigating, she jumped to the wrong conclusion and ran off. And I think you and I can learn a lot from what Mary did. Because when we're faced with difficult situations, I don't know if you're anything like me, I've done this. I'm sure many of you have done this as well. We jump to the wrong conclusion because we don't investigate. We don't take time to listen to the people involved. And if I would have taken the time to investigate and listen in my own life, I would have been able to come to the right conclusion instead of the wrong conclusion, and I would have saved myself a lot of hurt and heartache in the process. For example, when I first got married, I would come home from a long day of ministry. I would sit on the couch, and then Jenny would often come and and join me on the couch. And then she would start asking me a whole bunch of questions like, how was your day? Who'd you spend time with? Where'd you go? What'd you do? How are so-and-so doing? And, you know, the questions would kind of mount up. And this upset me because I jumped to the wrong conclusion that Jenny was trying to interrogate me. 
But she wasn't trying to interrogate me. She just wanted to get to know me better. She just wanted to know how my day was. Uh, But I jumped to the wrong conclusion and made some assumptions and thought, no, this woman wants to interrogate me instead of this woman loves me and just wants to get to know me better. When I first started pastoring, I struggled with not investigating and listening enough in the area of counseling. It caused me to make some wrong assumptions, to jump to wrong conclusions, As I would listen to people share their struggles, I would often assume I knew what was going on and I would just jump to conclusions without taking the proper amount of time to listen and investigate what was being said and and listen to both sides of the story. And oftentimes my assumptions and conclusions were wrong. And God kept showing me, you need to listen. You need to investigate before ever coming to a conclusion and not assume things. You know, I've discovered, and maybe you have as well, one of the main things that causes problems in relationships is when we make assumptions, when we jump to wrong conclusions, when we don't take the time to listen and to investigate and look at the facts, and then we usually come to something that is wrong instead of correct. I think we need to be very careful not to assume things about the Word of God, not to assume things about people, not to assume things about difficult situations that we face, especially when we don't have all the facts. You know, the enemy loves to use our assumptions to divide us and to destroy relationships. This is one of his tactics, and we oftentimes fall right into it when we do these things. So the first way that we should and should not respond when we face a difficult situation is don't make assumptions and jump to conclusions. Instead, take the time to investigate Get all the facts and listen to those involved. I want you to notice something very important here with Mary and her improper response to the situation that she faced is that it did not just impact her negatively. I mean, she comes and she's just heartbroken. She thinks someone stole Jesus. She's come to this assumption that's not right, and therefore it brought her to this place of just being so saddened But yet, notice it doesn't just impact her. Verse 2 tells us that she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, speaking of John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. You know, when we find ourselves in these difficult situations and we start making assumptions and we start jumping to the wrong conclusions, the reality is we rarely keep those assumptions and conclusions to ourselves. You know, typically we are going to share what we've concluded. We are going to share what we've assumed with somebody else. And the problem is when those assumptions and conclusions are wrong, now it's not just impacting us. It's not just something that's negatively hurting us. We pass that on to others as we share that with them. And this is one of the reasons why jumping to wrong conclusions, it doesn't just affect you, it affects others. You see, Mary runs to Peter and John, and she tells them some horrible news. But the sad reality is, her news wasn't true. No one had taken away Jesus' body like she claimed. And if Mary would have waited and not jumped to conclusions, she could have given Peter and John glorious news instead of horrible news. She could have been the first person to tell them, Jesus is risen Instead of telling them, somebody took Jesus' body. Someone stole him. Imagine the difference. I mean, she could have been the messenger of hope and joy instead of the messenger of this horrible news that would bring sadness and destruction to the hearts of Peter and John. 
Jumping to the wrong conclusion doesn't just affect us, it affects others as well. So be very careful not to jump to conclusions, not to make assumptions, because it's not just going to impact you. Mary's response is a response that we shouldn't have when faced with difficult situations. So if you're examining your own life in 2020, and you're looking at the way in which you have been responding to the difficulties that you face, and you find yourself to say, you know what, yeah, that's kind of me. I've been making a lot of assumptions. I've been jumping to wrong conclusions. I haven't been taking time to investigate the facts. I've been telling people my wrong assumptions and conclusions. And now all of us are kind of in this state of misery and hopelessness. Let me encourage you, don't continue with that. If that's been you, if that's been how you've been responding to some of the things that you've been facing this year, recognize it's not good for you, it's not good for others, and ask the Lord to help you to respond differently to that. You know, in the culture that we live in, where there's so much fake news, so much misinformation, and just outright lies, we really need to be diligent to investigate. We really need to be diligent to look at facts before we just believe what we're told by news, by social media. We have all these different sources trying to convince us of things, and many of them just aren't true. And oftentimes we get ourselves in these you know, states of hopelessness when what we're being told isn't even true to begin with. And if we would just investigate and look at the facts, we could save ourselves from a lot of that heartache and that pain. And even if some of those things are true, we will know how to deal with them properly if we know what we're actually dealing with. Well, now we're going to see the second response. So Mary Magdalene's the first response. She brings this false information to Peter and John. And we're going to look at Peter and John's response here in verses 3 through 10. It says this. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, and they came to the tomb, and he came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. The disciples went again to their own homes. So after hearing this horrible news from Mary, that Jesus' body was stolen, Peter and John do two very wise things. First, they run to the tomb so they can see it for themselves. That they've heard information that's not pleasant information, but they want to look at that themselves. They want to see it for themselves. You know, Mary said, hey, the tomb's open. Jesus' body's been stolen. Right away, they run to the tomb. They want to see it for themselves. It's a great thing that they did. And John reveals kind of a humorous thing in this kind of... um, rivalry, I guess you could say, that he and Peter had where they, you know, throughout the Gospels are, you know, arguing about who's the greatest and things. And and here he just kind of reveals that, hey, we both ran, but I got there first. I outran Peter to the tomb. And then, you know, he showed up a little later because he's slow. Uh, But he brings this up. And the second thing that they do that's important is once they get to the tomb, they investigate and they see some very important things as they investigate the tomb which would have been a big blessing if Mary 
would have done that as well. We're told they saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. So notice that the tomb is actually not completely empty. When Mary's uh, friends, the other women, they come in, they see this, but they also have the angels there, and the angels reveal Jesus is risen. The angels are not there when Peter and John come, but there are the linens. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they wrapped Jesus in these linens, and Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of myrrh and spices, and they wrapped Jesus in all of that. And that is still there. That's still sitting in the tomb, but there's no body. Now, this is something that's very important, is in the Greek, as, as you, um, this is described, um, it's described in a way that uh, the linen cloth was still wrapped in the folds, the spices still between the folds, yet the body was missing. So it wasn't as if someone unwrapped this body and then took the body away. You know, if someone was to steal Jesus' body, if you're going to steal a dead body, one of the purposes of wrapping this body up and putting all this myrrh in there is to stop it from the stench that would have been horrible after three days. So the last thing you're going to do if you come to steal that body is, hey, let's unwrap this body and let's just have the body stench just you know, permeate all over us as we take it. They would have just taken the body with the linen as well. And then there's a false claim uh, as you look at people who try to explain away the resurrection because they want to say that Jesus didn't really rise. They, they, they had this claim they called the swoon theory, that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. He just went through so much that it caused him to swoon, to faint. And then as the cold air of the tomb revived him, he, he woke up. Well, even if that was true, which is a, it's a pretty absurd thing, he would have had to unwrap himself in order to get out of the tomb and get out of these linens, which would have been like, you know, he'd been mummified and that wrapped all up. So either way, he would have unwrapped it and, um, or the person stealing it would have kept it. But the thing is that's important is these linens, and this is what the Greek is speaking of, it's just like kind of in the shape of this body. It's just, you know, it looks like someone evaporated out of it as opposed to unwrapped themselves from it. And as John looks at this and he sees, well, what in the world's going on here? We see, you know, these linens totally just like still in that wrapped shape of a body with the headpiece kind of folded separate. You know, what in the world is going on here? And um, he comes to some pretty amazing conclusions. He tells us that because of the way in which this was lying, that he believed. Speaking of, he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, he brings this up because most of the disciples only believe that Jesus rose from the dead when Jesus physically appeared to them. But John reveals, you know what, just how the linen cloths were lying revealed to him the person who was in this had to have risen. It had to be a miraculous thing. And that itself was enough evidence and proof for him that he comes to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. But I want you to notice something here that Peter and John do, which is complete opposite of what Mary does. When they hear the bad news of Mary about Jesus, which was false news, they, they run to the tomb to investigate and get all the facts before they make any assumptions, before they jump to wrong conclusions. And because they took the time to investigate and get all the facts, guess what they discovered? Mary's conclusion, Mary's assumption was wrong. No one stole the body. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, because Peter and John responded rightly to this difficult situation, they were spared from believing this false information that it would have just been so hurtful. 
I mean, it's bad enough that Jesus dies. Now someone steals his body and, and, you know, but they come because they responded rightly and realized, no, he is risen from the dead. Something important to note is how you and I respond to difficult situations we face will have a great impact on how that situation affects us. How you respond has a great impact on how it's going to affect you. You see, when you respond in a wrong way like Mary did to a difficult situation, it's going to have a really negative effect. I mean, she was even more hurt. You know, as much as she was in that state of mourning because her Savior died and she watched it and she was there at the cross and she saw it, and now she thinks that body has been stolen and she's even in a worse state, she's more hurt, she's just devastated by it. Her wrong response robbed her of such a glorious truth that Jesus was risen. That situation could have been so much better, but because of her wrong response, it became so much worse. But because Peter and John responded in the right way, they investigated personally what was going on. They saw the truth of what was there. Man, that response blessed them greatly. And instead of sitting more days believing that Jesus' body was stolen, they were able to discover the truth that he was risen. But notice what John tells us in verse 9, something very important. He says this, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. John tells us that he came to believe that Jesus was risen just by looking at the way in which the linen cloths were lying, how they were all still wrapped in the folds, all the spices still there, kind of in this shape of a body still, just kind of something just evaporated out of it. Just seeing that caused him to believe that Jesus was risen, but he reveals to us something very important. And that is the fact that they should have already been anticipating this. They should have already known that this was going to happen, but there's a reason that they didn't know. And notice what he tells us that reason is. They didn't know the scriptures that Jesus must rise again from the dead. After Jesus' death, Peter and John were robbed of joy They were miserable. I mean, imagine, for three days they mourned. For three days they were heartbroken. For three days they were greatly saddened after losing someone they loved so much. And the reason they were robbed of joy and in this miserable, heartbroken state is because they didn't know the Scriptures. Especially the Scriptures that foretold that Jesus would rise from the dead. If they would have known that truth, Man, those three days would have been different. If they would have known that truth, it would have been such a different response that they would have had to Jesus' death. Instead of a miserable and horrible time, they could have been in a time of great anticipation, looking forward to that third day when they knew that Jesus would rise from the dead. Not knowing the Scriptures caused them to be hopeless when they should have been hopeful, It caused them to be joyless when they should have been joyful. It caused them to be saddened and depressed when they should have been happy and rejoicing. Imagine how different those three days would have been if they just knew the Scripture concerning Jesus' resurrection. Man, they would have been anticipating that with great excitement instead of mourning His death. Those three days could have been three of the greatest days of their lives, but instead it was three of the worst days of their lives. All because they didn't know the word of God concerning the fact that Jesus would rise from the dead. And I think this is something that is so important for us to learn from. 
Not knowing the Word of God robs us of joy. It robs us of understanding, especially when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances. When we're in difficulties, the Word of God is our greatest source of truth. The Word of God is our great source of comfort. It's one of the greatest things that brings us peace and understanding. And when we don't know it, we miss out on so much. We buy into lies that are not true. We fall into temptations. We fall into lies from the enemy when we don't know the Word of God. For example, if you go through some difficulty and you think to yourself, you know what, I'm just abandoned and all alone. That thought goes completely against the Scriptures. If you knew the Scriptures that say God will never leave you or forsake you, they could totally change the way in which you feel about that circumstance. I'm not abandoned. I'm not alone. God is with me. His word tells me he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. If you're reminded of your past sin by Satan and you feel condemned, it's because you don't know the scripture that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But knowing that scripture, man, when Satan tries to bring that condemnation in your life, no, I'm not condemned. Jesus paid for my sin. There's no condemnation now that I'm in him, and it can release you from so much misery and pain. Or you go through some temptation, you think, man, this is too hard to bear. There is no way out. I just have to give in. It's because you don't know what the Bible says. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No, God's word says, I'll give you a way out. You can bear this temptation. You don't have to give in to this. Don't buy into that lie. And what a difference it makes when we have that truth, that knowledge of the word of God, and actually put it into practice in the midst of that situation. Or if you go through some struggle and convince yourself that you're separated from God's love, it's because you don't know what the scripture says, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, so often we're miserable, we're joyless like Peter and John were because we just don't know what the Bible tells us. So the second way we should and should not respond when we face a difficult situation is study God's Word and respond to your situation in light of what God's Word tells us. Knowing the Word of God, and maybe even more importantly, Applying the Word of God, that's some of the best things that you can do in the midst of facing a difficult circumstance. Knowing what God's Word says about that circumstance and also knowing how God's Word tells us to respond to that circumstance and putting those things into practice is some of the best things that we can do. You see, God's Word has important truths for us for any situation that we face. No matter what you're going through, you can come to the Word of God and you can find answers, solutions, encouragement. God's Word has something for whatever you're going through and He will reveal to you not only you know, that this is something that you, know, you are dealing with, but how to respond to it in the way that would bring Him glory. This is one of the reasons why spending daily time in the Word of God is so beneficial. You know, we talk about that as Christians of, you know, I want that daily relationship with God. I want to study the Bible daily. And there's lots of reasons why that's so important, why that's so beneficial. But here's just one of them. When I know God's word better, 
then I'm more equipped to deal with difficult situations because I'm understanding what does the Word of God say about this particular situation I'm going through and how I should respond to this particular situation I'm going through. But if I don't know that, all of a sudden that makes it much more difficult. I don't know what I should do. I don't know how I should respond. And when we're in that place, it's a lot harder to do what we know. What Well, we don't know. It's harder to do what's right. You know, I could say that I respond usually better now than I did five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, because I continue to spend time growing in my knowledge of God's word. And as I face circumstances, I just have over time gained a deeper understanding of the word of God. And the reason I don't do things now is not because of a lack of knowledge, it's a lack of application. You know, there, that's another problem. You know, sometimes we know what the word of God says. We know what the word of God says, how we should respond, but yet we just choose not to do it. And so we have to apply those truths, but sometimes we just don't even know those truths because we don't take enough time to really just saturate ourselves daily in God's word. Because guess what? If you read it, you know, three or four years ago, you probably forgot it. If you're not regularly going through the Bible, regularly studying it, you know, you're not going to have those things that you need to know in order to deal with these struggles that you're going through. You know, if you're a new believer, maybe you just say, I haven't spent much time studying the Bible in my Christian life. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of things you don't know. And instead of just, you know, not knowing, I would encourage you, come to myself, come to another person who's mature in the Lord, who studied the Bible, and say, hey, what does the Bible have to say about this circumstance that I'm in, about this situation? How should I respond? Because I want to know what God's Word says. I want to do what God's Word says, and I just don't even know where that is in the Word of God, what I should do. Could you give me some advice? Could you help me? You know, if you need that, then reach out for it. Don't just, well, I'm ignorant. Oh, well, well, come and find answers. This is part of the whole investigate Take the time to investigate, find out what God's word says so that you can actually do it. If you'll discover what God's word says, apply that knowledge to your life, man, you can save yourself a lot of heartache. You can save yourself a lot of foolish decisions. I can look back in my life and just think, man, that was so stupid. Man, why did I do that? Oh, I wish I could go back and fix this decision. And all of them are just decisions that I've made, either ignorant to what God's word said or just blatantly going against what God's word said. And that's just a reality. If we will just do what his word says, it will save us so much pain, so many consequences, so much heartache. If we'll just put it into practice. So the first two ways we should and shouldn't respond when faced with a difficult situation is don't make assumptions and jump to conclusions. Instead, investigate the situation, get all the facts, and listen to those involved. And also study God's Word, respond to your situation in light of what God's Word tells us. Next week, we'll look at three more important ways in which we should respond. But I just want to encourage you, especially this week, as this is fresh in your mind, Think about these two responses. You're going to face stuff this week. You're going to face difficulty. Many of you are already facing difficulty. Maybe you're examining how you've been responding, thinking, I'm not doing a great job. Well, let's start putting this into practice. Let's start doing these things this week and watch how it impacts the circumstance, how it impacts our response, how it impacts just the whole situation that we find ourselves in. So as you face difficult situations... Or maybe you just hear about possible problems that you might have to face through news or social media. 
Before you jump to any conclusions, before you make any assumptions, take the time to investigate the situation, investigate the possible problem that you heard about, get all the facts, listen to trustworthy sources, and after you investigate and are well-informed, go to the Word of God and see how does the Word of God say I should be responding in the midst of this circumstance, this problem, this situation that I find myself in. And then do what God's word tells you to do. If you'll do that, if you'll investigate, if you'll get the facts, if you'll be informed, and if you'll take all that information and look to God's word and see what he says about it, man, that's going to make your situation so much better. The circumstance might be the same, but man, it just gets worse when we poorly respond to it. It gets worse when we make it bigger than it really is. It gets worse when we're ignorant to what's really going on. But when we're knowledgeable and we take God's word and we know what he says and we put it into practice, it gets us through those situations. He will get us through. He'll give us what we need and he reveals to us how we should respond. The problem is oftentimes we just don't take the time to look to his word to know how he, should, how he wants us to respond, to look to him to help us get through these things. And so then these circumstances just become so much harder and more difficult when they don't need to be. If we would just trust in him, look to his word, be well informed, it would be very different for us. And you know what? It's not just different for us. What a blessing we can be to others. You know, in the midst of so much chaos going on right now in 2020, so many things coming against us in our world and our culture, as believers, when we're well-informed and we're also responding the way in which God would want us to, what a light and blessing we can be to family and friends and coworkers and neighbors who maybe are freaking out and, and fearing over some things that aren't real or not as uh, hyped up as, you know, they're hyped but they're not as bad as they think or, or whatever it may be that we can stand there and we can respond rightly and people can see that and they can come to us and think, man, how is it that you have this peace How is it that you're able to respond this way? And what a great opportunity then to share with them your relationship with Christ. Hey, let me show you why this is different for me. And it's all about Jesus and what he's done and what his word tells me and and his spirit living in me gives me the power and his word gives me the information I need to know and I'm putting this into practice and this is why I'm able to have this peace and this joy and I'm able to move through this and trust that God will get me through it. And you know what? You can have this as well. Because he didn't just die for me, he died for you. He doesn't just promise to give me his spirit, he promises to give you. His word is not just for me, it's for you as well. And just, you know, as people look at your life, it opens up a door as people are watching. Because when everything's going well for us, I don't think most people really care. Oh, wow, you're, you're, you're doing well when everything's good in your life. Anybody could do that. It's when you respond well when things are going bad that people take notice. And right now, lots of things are going bad. And when you respond with peace and with joy and with love for others and you respond in the way that God wants, all of a sudden it magnifies your response in a way that they say, well, wait a second, this isn't normal. When things go bad, we respond bad. When things are difficult, we get upset. When things are you know, hard, we're rude to people or whatever. You know, that's kind of the typical response of the world. And so when they see something very different in us, they take notice. And it's a great opportunity for us then to say, you know what, let me point you to Jesus, let me point you to his word, let me point you to what he's done, because that is what ultimately has revolutionized my life and enabled me to respond differently, because I was once like you, I used to respond this way, but Jesus has changed my life. And we can use this as an opportunity to get the gospel 
to people who desperately need it. Let's pray.